0: Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Hunt, Lift, Eat podcast. I'm here with Carter, my co-host, and one of my best friends. What's up, buddy?
1: <laughs> What's up, man? Good to see you again for the third time today.
0: Yeah, we've been on calls all morning, you know, plotting how we're going to conquer the world. And also, we're taking take three on recording the beginning of this with our special guest today, Kyle from uh, V2P, the V2P podcast, Valley to Peak. What's going on, Kyle? How you doing, man? Good, guys. How are you? excited tired yeah you've got a really good reason to be tired yeah my wife's even more tired but yeah I've got a you guys will probably hear from him I'm gonna have to jump off in the middle of this to go put him in the crib but my I got a two-year-old that most people are familiar with you can hear him in the background of most podcasts and then we've got welcomed a little girl to the world uh, this past Friday so i uh, got a daughter now so our house is just continuing to get more and more chaotic
1: yeah and big shout out to uh, doc rob putting us in contact with you kyle we've been stoked to sit down and talk with you man and i think our mission statements align very well and you know we love what what you're doing over with valley to peak and i think you're doing a, a good thing for a lot of people out there getting people prepped for the mountains
2: i appreciate that and yeah definitely a shout out to rob he's uh he's been he's been a huge asset to me personally i was doing some training for an ultra and he um definitely helped me (laughs) stay as injury free as possible with his sensible recommendations as far as trying to, you know, stay injury free for stuff like that. So yeah, he's, I love what he does. And he said that kind of the same thing for you guys. He's like, man, you've got to get in contact with these guys. I think you both would, you would, you know, really hit it off because you guys both have the same type of mission.
0: Yeah. Our Our approach is probably sometimes a little less sensible than, than doc's. If some is good, more is better, right Carter?
1: <laughs> I don't know if Doc <laughs> approved of how many years we we're <laughs> drinking at math, but
0: <laughs> it happens. It happens. So Kyle, let's uh let's just kind of for the for the third time, let's go ahead and kind of mm-hmm. run through your background a little bit about how you came up in the outdoors and and how you ended up out west and, you know, what that looks like. Yeah. Yeah,
2: you'd mentioned this being the kind of the third time we've done this because of uh, Zencaster, not no fault of anybody else's, but I'll even go back further because you'd mentioned the background thing. So, you know, I'm a dietitian by trade, um, run Valley to Peak Nutrition, live in Boise. But, you know, so our conversation at this point was I got moved to Boise because I got placed in a residency out here that I had to complete to become a dietitian. But even leading further back than that, I didn't grow up healthy at all. I grew up at kind of my pinnacle. I weighed 270, 270 pounds. And over a period of about a year, year and a half, I started just making sensible changes to my diet and incorporating some exercise and ended up losing 140 pounds. And it was through the process where I thought, okay, I mean, I've always known eating an apple is better for me than eating three cheeseburgers or eating a banana is going to be better than five Snicker bars or whatever. But I really wanted to understand what happens. Why does that, What when someone makes those choices, what happens And my brain's always been driven that way. I really want to know why things work, not just take it at face value. And so then I enrolled in a program at the university that I was at in Indiana at that time, they had just started a dietetics program. Uh, And so I went through that and then got matched to an internship or residency type of a program out in Boise. And to that point, I'd had zero experience at all with anything outdoors, anything hunting, any, I mean, it's anything like that at all. Came out here and ended up just falling in love with the mountains in general and being outside And through that, I met my wife, my wife grew up in Eastern Oregon and her folks are very much live kind of a, you know, quote, sustainable lifestyle in the sense of they hunt, they have a small ranch, they, they do all of this. So my father-in-law invited me to go on a couple of hunts. So I found myself in the middle of this, this Unintended process of, okay, I'm out hiking, which I loved. I'm out being outdoors, which I loved. I'm trying to fill a freezer full of lean meat, which I loved. Why would I not keep doing this? You know, and so then I, I, then I had to reconcile because they lived out of state. I was like, okay, well, uh, you know I can't afford on a college education or on a college budget an out of state tag every year. How can I do this in Idaho, where at that time I had a residency? And so you go down this you go down this long pathway of finding people who are willing to drag you along and teach you some of those things. And like we said earlier, you know, that, that doesn't just start with, all right, like where does elk live or where do, where do mule deer live? I didn't even know how to sight in a rifle. You know, you get a rifle, you put a scope on it, it's shooting all over the place. Well, how do I fix that? Where do I start with that? So truly it's a very, very long journey, but if you have a mentor and I have had several that have been, I mean, just instrumental in teaching me everything that I know to sort of get me to the point of where I am now. And so I've always had an interest in sports nutrition leading back to whenever I was getting education. And so when I fell in love with the mountains and I had this desire for sports nutrition and really performance nutrition, I found that there was a lot of crossover. There was a lot of overlap. There were a lot of the basics that we think of in the ball sports that are applicable to the mountains. And, you know, that extends from guys doing you know, long periods of time in the backcountry on a hunt to guys doing ultras to uh, folks doing backcountry ski tours, you name it, anything that really you find yourself being active for many, many hours or many, many days or both, it fits. And so, you know, naturally, when you're able to merge those two things, much like you guys probably know, you fall in love with it. And it often doesn't really feel like a job, even though it seems like you've got a ton of work to do.
1: Yeah, for sure, man. And I would say, you know, maybe from a a dietitian point of view, you probably talking about like playing ball sports growing up, you probably saw a lot of bad habits. There are a lot of crossovers, right? But there's plenty of bad habits, at least, you know, when I was growing up that I had learned from coaches too, that definitely don't translate or things you don't want to do when you, when you go to the mountain or, you know, your, your mindset has to change or at least mine has changed. Since then, like I'm just thinking of like static stretching before, you know, starting your whatever exercise or, or sport you're playing or like things like that. Right.
2: Yeah. I mean, the one that stands to mind when you bring that up is the old school recommendations from coaches on nutrition for wrestling, right? Ways to cut weight or ways to, you know, go run around in a sauna suit and then try to go hit the hills for seven days straight after eating nothing for those seven days while you're in a sauna suit. I mean, that'll be, you'll be day one. Calling an evac out of there just because it'll be, you know, it'll be so challenging to get through the next six days, but yeah, definitely have seen some, you know, I, I didn't know it at the time. And, and frankly, I think a lot of those guys and, and gals are good intentions. They just don't know any different, you know, and, and, and truly that is one of the things that I really wanted to get out of my, my education when I was going to school was, I really want to invest the time to understand how this works, because I knew that if I understood that I could tailor it to people. And I knew that I really wanted to do that work one on one with people. And so really understanding how it worked gives you the ability to say, "Okay, look, here's the end outcome that you want. There's a thousand different ways we can approach this to get that end outcome. And what people that's really refreshing for people, because what they're used to is Look, here's one way. Here's the path. Take it or choose it or don't choose it. But that's the way to get there. Right. And and many people often feel completely defeated because that path, you know, doesn't work for them. And I don't want to be I don't want to go down this rabbit trail too far. But if you take keto, for example. Look, keto's the only thing that'll work. Well, many people do great on that. Many people don't do great on that. So if you have that group that says, look, it doesn't work for me. I don't do great on it. And everyone's saying, well, that's the way. That's the way. That's the way. It's not the way there's a thousand different ways to skin that cat. The way that works is the one that works for you. And that's really what you've got to you have to understand some of the core principles of nutrition to really be able to tailor it to the person. And I think that that is key, just like fitness, right? Just like fitness. To really be able to produce an end outcome for a person, you've got to be able to tailor it for the person and their goal, right? Specificity is key in that too.
1: Yeah. And I don't want to jump ahead too far. I want to talk about your background a little more, but I love kind of what you stand for with Valley Peak is like, not just to be able to perform whatever the task is, right. Not just the, the backcountry hunt or the ultra or the, you know, skiing or like whatever, but to feel good. While doing it, right? Like I loved seeing that message reiterated time and time again, because like, you know, this isn't like the the Spartan a go training camp, right? You want to be able to feel good and perform at your best, not just survive whatever you're going through, right?
2: Yeah, you really did dig deep on me. <laughs>
1: yeah, well, I there love is. that. It's like, you know, anybody can go out there and like. I feel like there's a there's this idea, especially right now of like, you know, back country hunting and like going out there and like yeah. really roughing it. And like, that has a, that's, that's shiny right now. Right. Yeah. But like you, if you're going to do that, like you should feel good while you're doing it. Right. It, there's no, there's no badge and just like suffering for the sake of suffering.
2: hundred percent agree. And, and, you know, so like the, the phrase that we'll say all the time is the key is, not just surviving it, but enjoying it, right. Getting to the peak, getting to the lake, getting to whatever it is, finishing the hunt and, and having had really enjoyed it. And that came out of my own experience out of my first backpacking trip in Idaho, um, where I, you know, again, literally knew nothing started out the day eating just kind of a normal, what I would normally eat for breakfast way too much in my pack. What not eating enough on the way and I just totally hit a wall, you know, three quarters of the way to the lake got to the lake totally passed out and, you know, we were with uh, I was with three other people and they were just shoving food and Gatorade and anything that they couldn't in, into me finally started to feel better and made my way out. And I, I mean, I loved I loved the experience so much in spite of that that I thought, OK, well, I got to I need to apply what I know in scenarios like this. So I don't miss out on the opportunity. I mean, I look, it wasn't a, if I had hated the whole deal, that's another story, but I didn't, I loved it. So I figured I need to go back to the drawing board and apply what I know when it comes to nutrition out of that, because you're right. That mantra is true. I think many people are under the idea of, okay, this is going to suck no matter what I'm going to go, I'm going to endure the suck and I'm going to feel more hardcore for it. I've told a lot of people lately and I don't know if this is popular or not, but I feel like backcountry hunting has become like the Corvette of our generation for midlife crisis.
1: Yeah. 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 yeah.
2: It's like, I'm going on a backcountry. I'm going on a caribou. I'm headed to Alaska. I'm whatever. Forget the, you know, forget the Corvette, forget the Viper, forget the whatever. I'm going to become a backcountry hunter. And I mean, it's in it, and, and one hand, it's really great, right? It's caused a lot of people to look at their life into. Get in better physical condition, or to change their habits, to wake up earlier, to do a lot of things that are just good habits to have. But you do—you are 100% right when you said you do not need to suffer through it to for yeah. it to feel good. And in fact, I would argue that you'd be better served to to enjoy it, especially if you wind up killing something. You know, you're not going to want to suffer through that trying to get that out. So, anyway, yeah, I I agree with you there 100%.
1: That's cool. So when you what was kind of the turning point for you when you were like, okay, I, I want to take a good hard look at this, right? You said you're 270, which, you know, you are clearly not 270 anymore. Uh, and then decided you wanted to go to school for it.
2: Yeah. I, you know, I, I was 20, I, think I was like 21 or 22 and I was heavy. I mean, I wasn't oblivious to the fact that I had a problem, but whether it was cultural or whatever, like it was never a a a warning sign that you know this is a bad road to go down until one christmas morning i was laying in bed and um we'd kind of done our small family thing earlier we were waiting for the large family to get there and i just started having these series of health issues string about that whole year like i had some blood work and they would tell me oh you had you you know your blood pressure is getting high your cholesterol is getting high which Having had done nothing in the health field at that point, I really didn't understand what that means and sort of took it for with a grain of salt and started having these chest issues laying down in bed on that Christmas morning. And again, I, was, I, I didn't know what course of action needed to happen because I knew nothing about nutrition at that point, but I knew I needed to do something. So it was it was that wake up call, I guess that was really the, you know, quote unquote, rock bottom, if you want to call it that, where I thought, all right, I'm going to just start making sensible changes. And when I say sensible, these are very sensible rather than four slices of pizza. I'm going to eat two rather than a double cheeseburger fries and a Coke. I'm going to get water and a baked potato with nothing on it. I mean, I was not sitting at home meal prepping for nine hours every day, eating boiled chicken and, you know, steamed broccoli, I was still eating normal food. I was just making changes that I thought this seems to make sense to me snacking on fruit instead of candy bars and so on and so forth. And it was, I, I started to see some progress, right. It, and, and the, the, the path wasn't driving me nuts, started to see some progress. So you feel like, hmm, this is pretty cool. I wonder what happens if I started to run or started to lift weights too. So I, you know, I added that in and sure enough, the progress, like the progress keeps coming. And so then I started digging into research and saying like, well, what is good nutrition? Like what if nutrition was going to look better than it does now, what does that look like? And so I started to incorporate that. And I'll tell you, I think that to this day, one of the best things that I learned through that process was to cook for myself was to learn how to cook. Now I burned a lot of stuff. There was a lot of stuff that I tried that was disgusting and I ate it anyway and tried again. I mean, it wasn't like, I'm still not like some fabulous cook, but I think that one of the best things that I learned was how to cook for myself instead of relying on restaurants or packaged food or whatever. Now I'm not even, um, you know, I'm I'm an, I'm an atypical dietitian in the sense of, I'm not out here throwing warning signs against restaurant foods or packaged foods at all i think that i think that those can actually fit as a really good part of someone's diet especially if they're busy but if i wanted to tailor things for myself i needed to learn how to do that and so i think that that was you know one of the big turning points for me too was each time i would see some progress and i would be encouraged to take another step and and this is very cliche, but it truly does go from being these intentional steps to an entirely different life and, 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 just your whole life changes. And, um, it can be a, it can be a long journey, you know, it can be, but it's, it's well worth it because once you build the rhythm, it's easy, it, it gets, it gets a lot easier, but it is a little bit of an uphill curve in the beginning.
1: Yeah, for sure, man. And I want to talk a little bit about kind of your entrance into the hunting realm of things uh i didn't grow up hunting either i didn't i didn't kill my first deer till i was a freshman in college whereas a lot of the folks in my life grew up doing it with their you know their dads and their brothers and their you know grand granddads and that kind of stuff did you become interested in hunting from a dietitian point of view right because like we know like oh yeah lean meat lean game meat like we know it's healthy for you like for for the most part, was that what was interesting to you? Or was it once you were in the world of Boise and, you know, seeing a more sustainable lifestyle from that point of view and enjoying the backcountry kind of thing, like what, what was your kind of draw your Avenue towards the hunting world?
2: That's a good, that's a really good question. It was, it was, it was probably the latter and not even so much being in Idaho, but just having a, a, a relationship with my father-in-law and my wife, you know, and seeing they live in a very small town and, you know, seeing that type of a lifestyle was very appealing to me. And it was, a, it was, it was a, a, a little bit before that whole sustainable approach became kind of the de jour thing to do where everyone started to think like, man, that is kind of a cool lifestyle. And so I, I really wanted to learn it. I knew I loved being outdoors. I'd never, you know, killed a deer, never killed an elk, knew I loved the meat, so on and so forth. But to to speak to your first question, if if elk and and deer and, you know, whatever else wild game were really really fatty or really something that I didn't have a taste for, I don't know that it would have appealed to me as much. So yes, yeah, sure sure from a dietitian standpoint, the fact that I could get really, really lean meat was very appealing. And if I'm honest with you, I'm a I'm a cheapskate. <laughs> a thirty dollar tag, and I can fill a freezer. Sign me up. Yeah, you know. But and I mean, sure, you got you got gas and ammo, and of course now it's like spiraled out of control. To where it'd be cheaper for me just to buy meat. But yeah. break
1: it at, down dollar to dollar, man. It makes me real sad. <laughs>
2: yeah, it definitely does. But. It's a good question, and I think that it's definitely the the one that you had alluded to first. Was I saw my you know my father in law? The way that they live is almost a step back in time. I mean, he's he's a logger. He they burn wood to heat their house. They grow most of their garden. When you get vegetables, it's coming from the cellar. Usually, they're pulling stuff out of the freezer that they've harvested at one point, And I just, I loved that. I really loved that. And I wanted to be a part of it. I, I'd be lying to you to tell you that it was something to do with sustainability and all of that, even it, it was just, I loved that lifestyle of being able to be reliant on me, only me. And I, I wanted to figure out how to do that, you know? And yeah, sure. The, the idea, the fact that it tastes great and that it was very lean was definitely cherry on top.
1: Yeah. It's a cool bonus. I think, like you said, it has become like kind of the, the cool thing recently, especially like after COVID, right? Like I'm a big gardener too. And just from a gardening point of view, right? Like gardening has skyrocketed since when COVID started, right? People started getting back into growing vegetables at their house. Like you couldn't find seeds anywhere for like two years. And, uh, I think people like get it right. It's like what our grandparents used to do. And now people understand like the draw and the, Right. Maybe not a sustainability thing like you're talking about, but there is something good about, oh, this is I I was a part of this process and now it's a part of my diet, which is then sustaining me in in my life and everything I go do. That's cool. I, I would imagine if you took a poll of like maybe your classmates or like fellow dietitians, this is me assuming, but how many dietitians out there do you think are hunters as well?
2: You know, it's interesting you ask that. I At one point, I, I, I almost put like as a tagline or something, you know, the only dietitian who grinds his own meat, or the yeah. only dietitian who whatever. But I did have a guy, uh, well, first, there's very few other male dietitians. There's starting to be more and more. And I think that I think a large draw from that is the sports nutrition world but I did have a guy after I was on, I think it was on the XO podcast. I don't even remember, but, uh, there was another guy who was a dietitian who hunts reach out and say, you know, just sort of say, Oh, this is awesome. What you're doing, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. He's like, I'm an, I'm one of you. And I would say, I would venture to say though, beyond he and I, there's probably, there's probably not a lot, probably yeah. not a lot.
1: That's cool. Yeah. We want to blow up what you're doing, man. That's awesome. That's super cool.
2: Mm-hmm. Appreciate that.
1: Yeah, man. So let's talk about Valley to Peak a little bit. When did you, uh, how did you get this whole thing off the ground? And because you have so many different facets and and avenues and it's a big umbrella that I was peeking under and it's, it's grown immensely, right? You got a lot going on.
2: Yeah. It's, um, so the, the story, uh, Valley to Peak was never supposed to be a thing. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, like I, I never, when I never set out to make a business. I never set out to make Valley to Peak. What happened was about man I think it was about 7 years ago now if I remember right. I was listening to a podcast. It was the Exo Mountain Gear podcast with Mark and and Steve Speck uh, who run Exo Mountain Gear uh, and have become good good friends of mine since then. But They were recapping a annual hike that they do called the death hike, and they went on to describe their nutrition strategy during this death hike and sort of said, look, we don't understand why this seemed to work so well, but we moved away from having a lot of protein bars and a lot of, you know, described a different, different amounts of food that they would have. And we moved more towards. Things that seem to just taste good to us and sit better with us. Things like goldfish crackers and pretzels and cheeses and gummies and all of these other things, right? And they went on to the podcast and basically said, look, we don't, we don't really know why it works. If anybody knows, give us a shout. So I emailed them and I said, well, I, you know, I can tell you why. It, here's why it works. You can tell your audience, you know, this is why it works and this is how it works. This is how nutrition works. This is sports performance at its at its core, blah, blah, blah. And so Mark, you know, emailed me back. He's like, well, why don't you just come on the show and we'll do an episode about it? I said, okay, well, that, that's great. So there's about a two month window between the, the podcast's airing and them launching it. So us recording it and them launching it. And I told Mark, I said, I really would like to have an email address. So if anybody's got any questions, they can send me an email, but I don't want it to be a Gmail account or guys will feel like they're emailing someone's in their, in their mom's basement. So I created, I bought the, um. I bought the domain v2pnutrition.com, Valley to Peak Nutrition, and got Kyle or info at v 2 pnutritioncom That episode hit and now this is my full time job. <laughs> now it, it didn't it didn't go quite that quick. I mean the first year I had a couple of clients and then had some more and have been fortunate to be on a you know, so a guest on so many people's podcasts and I, I would I would list some, but I feel like I'd leave someone out, and I am I truly feel just like you guys deeply indebted to everyone who's had me on because I fully recognize that was why the business continued to grow uh, until a couple of years ago I left I was working part time or no I was working full time uh, as a dietitian at the local hospital here and doing this full time which was roasting me so I eventually had to made. Uh, make the decision of okay, well, you know, which one are you going to do full time? Now, this goes a little bit deep, but I had just lost my dad suddenly that year. I, he had he died suddenly from a um, from brain tumor, and I don't know that I would have had the guts to say I'm leaving my job had that not happened. But had that that had happened, and you know, faith is a big component to my wife and I's life, so we prayed a lot about it and really wanted to get a good understanding of what we what we should be doing. And, um, you know, just that combination of real, really viscerally recognizing life is so short and I will never, I, I may never get the opportunity to do something like this again. I left my full time job at the hospital and we had just found out we were pregnant with our second son and, um, started doing this full time. And it's been going ever since there are a lot of facets to it. There are days that it can seem quite overwhelming to balance it all, but, you know, I definitely still love it. I I love being able to meet so many different people and I'm so inspired by the things that they choose to go take on because Valley to Peaks grown to, you know, when we first started, it was preparing people for the mountains. And since then it's kind of been, there is that arm of it, but even like life, <laughs> helping people prepare for life. You know, they, they want to be in not, not like, not like bodybuilding peak physique conditioning, but they want to be able to play with their kids, you know, and to throw their kids around and to do some of that. And so we, you know, we, w- there's that arm of it and there's backcountry hunting. Obviously that's still a major arm of it, but we work a lot with folks overseas who are doing mountaineering trips, like summoning big mountains, Kilimanjaro, or going up to Everest or, going to these other, other places. And it's just, um, it's, it's very inspiring to see what the human spirit's willing to say, yeah, I'll do that. I want to go do that. And, and you get to play like a fraction of a part in that. And they send you pictures afterwards and give you the report. And, uh, it's just an awesome cycle to see.
1: Yeah. What a fantastic reward system too, to see people succeed at their goals and, and be a part of that. Even if it's like you said, a, a small piece, that's gotta be worth it all.
2: Oh Yeah. Definitely. Definitely. And then it makes you feel like, God, I gotta put something on my calendar (laughs) (laughs) to to like do something just to get out of the house, you know.
1: That's awesome. Yeah, I get that, man. And we talk about Luke and I are young fathers and I got two little girls and talked about it a couple of times. But that is that'll shit, man, that'll change your perspective on your health and your fitness and what you put in your body and you wanna be around, you wanna be strong and be be around as long as you can and do all the things that you love because you want your kids to do them too. Like you, I want my daughters to love being in the outdoors and I want them to go on the same trips and do that kind of thing. And you want to set that example. And it starts with, you know, fueling and taking care of that engine you got.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I, you know, I want, I, I don't want either of my boys to have to go through the process that I had to go through. Right. I mean, I got myself to 270, and it was a process to get, to where I'm at now. And I don't, I mean, I don't want them to have to deal with that. And I, you know, g- growing up, I can remember, uh, my dad was an excellent dad, excellent dad, but I can also remember there were things that other dads could or would do that he couldn't or wouldn't or whatever. And, and it's not to say that I, you know, I, I just don't want that for them. Right. Like if, if I want them to be proud of their dad and, and, it seems it seems very it seems very um narrow minded for me to say that oh that's weight and nutrition that seems very egotistical and that's not it at all, but I will tell you that being the weight that I am at now and because I try to have regular activity, it does provide me the opportunity to do things that I could not have done when I weighed 270 pounds and had no activity. So you, you you most certainly do not need to be in peak physical condition training all of the time and have this pristine nutrition program. I'm not saying that at all. But I think we'd also be naive. It'd be naive of me to say that did not play a role in my own journey, right to, to change the way that I eat, to change how active I am. And to get there one thing we talk about all the time, and you probably have heard me say this, if you since you dug me up. I I think a huge thing to remember is you always have to be aiming for practical, not always optimal, right? So things need to be practical for a person, not always optimal because sure, it may sound great to get back to high school weight, but you don't need to be at high school weight, right? I mean, most studies show that 10% of current weight loss for anybody who feels like they're above a weight that they want to be at, 10% of that weight coming down would dramatically improve all health markers. So you take a guy who's 200 pounds, who feels like, eh, I'm a little bit over where I want to be. That would be 20 pounds. You don't need to be back to 155. Yeah. And that would put you at one eighty and probably able to do anything that you can. Yeah. That's another question that comes up. It's like, well, what should I weigh? And they want, they want me to tell them a number and they want me to tell them something based on, a, yeah, like something on a BMI and say, no, because the, the weight that you should weigh is the weight that allows you to do anything you want to do at the pace and the rate that you want to be able to do it at and the weight that does not cause any sort of chronic disease, right? If you can be there, being another 20 pounds lighter is not going to get you anything except for maybe some sort of an intrinsic motivation by the fact that you see your scale be lower, but that, that doesn't mean it's going to translate into a better life at all. It could mean, though, that you drive yourself insane skipping pizza night with the family or no popcorn whenever you guys plug in the next Disney Plus movie or whatever, right? I mean, there, there is definitely a very delicate balance of changing habits from where you're currently at to going completely gung-ho to where you've got no social life and have no wiggle room to even enjoy your life either. And I think that that delicate balance is where you try to find what's practical versus what's optimal.
1: Yeah, that's a really powerful word too. Like practicality when you're looking at it, right? Like I'm the I'm I'm the 201 guy right now. I'm 201 pounds, and I'm I'm in good shape, man. But I want to. I'm going on my first elk hunt this November, and I want to go in a little bit lighter based on my mule deer hunt in Montana that I had last November, because um, we're gonna be in a little steeper mountains, higher elevation, and I had a especially coming from zero sea level, I had a hard time hiking around those those mountains in uh in montana so i want to go in a little bit lighter especially if we're going to have or spike camping a little bit and if we do get an elk on the ground it's a little bigger than a deer man so i but you don't want to sacrifice weight just for the sake of sacrificing weight right you still want to be able to i still need to be strong right i need to keep that strength not just lose weight for the sake of losing weight and maintain that fitness and not just focus on the number on the scale
2: yeah 100 i mean the way that you the way that you go about it will depend on whether or not you've got strength during it or right and, and so even i mean i don't know if this is getting ahead of of your notes but it, it, right the 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 foundation of losing weight is a calorie deficit right put macros aside composition of the meal aside no we won't even talk about that yet if you're in a deficit the idea is is you want to create just enough of a deficit to move the weight you do not want it to be huge because that's where you're going to find good enough energy to execute the workouts, you're not going to be losing muscle mass, and you're going to find a very sustainable pace without dropping in energy. And that's, that's key in the preparation side of things, right? Because could you create a larger deficit and get that weight to move faster? You could. But what, what you're not seeing and what's often misunderstood by folks is that weight coming off isn't always body fat you're typically losing nutrient stores you're typically losing the water that's drawn to those nutrient stores you're typically losing some muscle mass the deeper the deficit the more muscle that's going to be compromised so it looks really great it's very very appealing because the scale's just dropping like mad but you're not seeing the full story and understanding look most of what's coming off is the stuff you want to keep but if you can temper that expectation a little bit and give yourself some time create a minor deficit you're going to feel much better when it comes time to go hunting. You're going to feel much stronger when it comes time to go to hunting. And you're never going to feel like you've just got this slug of energy to try to get through any of the workouts that you've got.
1: Yep. Absolutely. Can we talk about some technical stuff?
2: Yeah. Let's
1: all right. Do cool. it. My, my, my technical verbiage is not fantastic, but that's why we have you on here.
2: <laughs> that's all right.
1: <laughs> so like understanding mountain nutrition, right? Like. What specific nutritional challenges do you see with this kind of scenario that we're, we've been talking about maybe, right? This is going to drop in August during our fall preparation. That's like kind of our mantra for the month of August, right? Fall prep. Everybody's got their, we, we drew their tags. I just got my Colorado, my Wyoming tag in the mail. That's what I'm focused on, right? I'm getting ready, gearing up. What nutritional challenges are people that you work with or do you see that they run into when they're prepping for these back country hunts or right. Or ultras or, you know, whatever they're doing. Uh,
2: so there's, I, I'd probably say two things. One on the preparation side of things, it's almost always trying to create too big of a deficit while training, right? So the, and you guys could speak to this even better than I could, but the 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 thing that really moves the ball down the field with training is being consistent and the nutrition side of things nutrition is not making you stronger your training is But what nutrition is doing is it's giving you the nutrients needed to give you the energy to execute the lifts, give you the energy to execute the cardio. It's giving you the protein required to recover from those lifts so that then you can go train the next day and you can do it the next day and you can do it the next day versus if you're trying to create too big of a deficit or if you're trying to, let's say, get rid of carbs, which is the primary fuel source of the muscle. If you're trying to get rid of those things, you get one day of training in, but you're so zapped for the second day that you miss it. And you're so zapped for the third day that you miss it, but you hit the fourth. And before you know it, you start missing so many consecutive days of training that you're making no progress. And again, I think that that is because we are in, we are sort of in, I I think that social media, magazine articles, blah, 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 have ingrained us to think that this will be quick. This should come off fast. If I make any change, this should come and it doesn't, it will come off fast, but you're not getting the full picture. Most of what you're losing is muscle, nutrients, and water. When people start planning the actual hunt itself or their fueling strategy for whatever objective it is that they're trying to stay on to go on the two biggest places that I see them miss is totals and timing. They're not eating enough and they're not eating frequently enough. They want to wake up in the morning. They'll have one of those kitty sized bowls of oatmeal, and then they're going to go till lunch. Maybe they'll have, you know, a tortilla with Nutella and bacon on it. And then they want to go until dinner and they'll have a peak or a mountain house or whatever. And they can't really, you know, it's hard for them to understand why, well, geez, by day two, like I was just hose. You should be eating every, every two to three hours at minimum. If you're moving throughout the day, potentially more like you take September elk, for example, you're conceivably moving most of the day. Yeah. And none of those miles are easy. So totals and timing, you should be getting roughly sixty grams or two hundred calories worth of, of of carbs every two hours or so throughout the course of the day, especially if the hunt's difficult. Now, you've got some flexibility there if the hunt's not as difficult, or if you take a mule deer hunt, for example, where you're trying to you're trying to get to the highest point in the drainage that you're at and you're going to be camped there most of the time just glassing well the need to eat that frequently isn't as high but for for early elk especially the place that i've seen most people bonk, and this is also be true for like long distance through hikers ultra people etc totals and timing not getting enough and not getting it with enough frequency
1: yeah I i think everybody who's done any type of you know, physically demanding hunt has felt that before felt gassed when you're like, I shouldn't feel gassed right now. And that makes sense. Right. And we're, we we talk about like, you know, it's, it's time to be doing your gear shakeout and planning what's going to go in your pack and, you know, laying everything out so that, you know, exactly what you're going to take on your hunt. And from the gear point aside, you need to be planning for your food. What's your nutrition plan going to be? Right. Cause like, Especially here, like tree stand hunting out, <laughs> out east, man. The the nutrition plan is, you know, little Debbie's moon pies, right? Like Mountain Dew, it's just like garbage, man. On um, a lot of these hunts, I find myself eating what I know is garbage, but uh, it's not fueling me correctly.
2: And that's and and you bring up a good point though about the shakeout because. When when you, when you, when you go West, right. And I don't, for some reason, it always seems like on podcasts, the West is put on a pedestal and it is great, right? There's a lot of awesome things about hunting in the West, but I, I don't want to make it sound like anything but being here is for, you know, child's play. It's not necessarily what I'm saying at all but the circumstances to the West are somewhat unique. It's a lot higher elevation. Some of the mountains could be steeper. Some of the drainages could be longer. It just could be more physically demanding maybe than what someone's used to. Not always, but sometimes. The shakeout with the food is an important piece to point out because if you get out here, you're combining low oxygen because you're at a higher altitude. You got to pack on. So you've got something wrapped around your stomach. You're hiking a lot more you don't have access to water. So you're trying to use, you know, be pretty, pretty sparing on that. It's really important that you try what you're going to take before you ever come because that collective, all of those collective things will serve you. It's the worst thing you could do for digestion right? You get the blood take going from your gut to your legs. So now you don't have good blood flow to the gut. So you're already not processing energy quite as well. You're at a higher altitude. So there's less oxygen to deliver blood. You got all of these problems that are not going to sit you up well for good digestion. So it's important, like if you're doing training hikes or if you're doing weighted box step ups in preparation, if you're doing some of those things to get ready to go hunt that you're trying some of these things while you're doing that because you're simulating the effect that you're going to have whenever you're there so you could eat a honey stinger at home right now and feel fabulous sitting in in your in your living room but if you get out there after you've been hiking all day and you don't feel well is that honey stinger going to sit as well maybe there's something else that would sit better and it's important to try it because if you've got seven eight nine ten days worth of the same thing and all of it is garbage to you it doesn't matter how good you are on totals and timing if you can't get any of it down, right? I mean, that that's worst case scenario is you've got an entire backpack full of food that you can't stomach and so you end up eating nothing and you have to come out because you just don't have any energy.
1: If you had, I know we don't want to talk about like, I'm sure you tailor everything specifically, right? For your clients, which I want to talk about. But if you had a couple tips for like, folks going out on their hunts this fall like hey you should strongly consider keeping these couple things in your pack yeah. for this, for these mountain hunts what what would be kind of towards the top of your generic list
2: the two things that i would say no questions asked don't even have to think about it some sort of an electrolyte powder and some sort of an easy to digest gummy jolly rancher type something or another right unconventional from a dietician i know but The reason why is when you don't have good blood flow to the gut and you don't have good digestion because of all the factors we just mentioned, you want to be putting in stuff that is very, very, very easy on the stomach to digest. So if we get in a scenario, like we just described, you got a whole backpack full of food, you're nauseous, you can't eat any of it. It's hot. You just don't, you just don't want it. You can always get some calories in from Gatorade or tailwind or some sort of an electrolyte powder. And you want the one with carbs. You don't want to go low carb, blah, blah, blah. You want to be sure to get some with carbs and the sodium and all of that. The same with gummy bears. Carbohydrate digestion begins in the mouth. It's one of the unique things about that nutrient. Protein digestion begins further down the gut, but carbohydrate begins in the mouth. If you can do nothing else but put something like a Jolly Rancher or butterscotch candy or gummy bears or anything like that in there and suck on them, you'll still be getting some fuel. And again, worst case scenario, that could get you out. I mean, I know several guys who regularly hunt the West who've ran out of food, killed a mule deer in Wyoming and had to ration gummy bears to get themselves out. And they did. You know, it gave them just enough to keep enough blood, to keep enough glucose going to their brain to where they didn't feel like they just totally wiped out, got them back to the truck, and, you know, they were able to to get home. Even if you keep, like, a small baggie as an emergency, that's another thing that I'll keep is, I keep three or four honey. Uh, there are these little tubes. You squeeze the top off, and they've got, like, you know, a teaspoon of honey in them. I'll keep some of those in there. So if I really hit a wall and I've got no food left in my pack, that'll give me enough to get back to camp or whatever. Or if you're with someone or sometimes you'll run into people in the backcountry, especially if you run into someone who's got like a blood sugar processing disorder, like a diabetic and they don't have any, anything on them, that'll pick them up. If you got someone who's having a seizure and they need something, that'll pick them up. So little, little things like that, I think are, good to keep there no weight costs right i mean those weigh n- absolutely nothing and can be great just to throw in your first aid kit or your you know whatever type of a kit that you've got with you whether it's fire starter and a match throw one of those in there and um, you always have a backup but yeah the electrolytes and the um the gummy bears or something similar is probably what i would what i would say
1: there it is the hot the hot tip right there gummy bears <laughs> the hot tip i like that i coach uh, cross country uh at the school i teach at and we start in august right we start next week and it's freaking hot man and these kids just drop it's hot hot but i have them eat a pack of Mott's gummies before their races about 30 45 minutes before and i've found over the years that seems to try and help get them through um their race instead of just you know pounding a liter of water before your race because that's you're just going to feel terrible and you may not be able to Absorb all that water without electrolytes, right? It's just going to run through you. Yep. Yeah, that's cool. And you have, do you have electrolytes are like all the rage right now, right? Like everybody's making electrolytes, right? If if you're on TikTok at all, which is a freaking cesspool of your time, that I (laughs) constantly, but I get I get targeted with electrolyte ads all the time. Do you have a brand that you like?
2: Yeah, honestly, I like just the -the over-the-counter Gatorade. I mean, the powdered stuff that you can buy at the grocery store for 90% of the situations you're going to find yourself in, that would be plenty. If you find yourself in a scenario where you've got an early season tag and you are just a really salty sweater and, you know, I don't know, paint all of these unique scenarios – there is a Gatorade, there is a Gatorade endurance formula that you can pick up and it's got double the sodium. So that could be a potential option. Both of them are pretty inexpensive. The other one, it's a little more, a little more bougie is a uh, tailwind. You can get that off of their website. Actually, there's some stores that carry it now too. It mixes clear. Some people think that the it's, it's, like it's a little easier on the taste side of things. They don't feel like the flavor is quite as harsh. It has double the sodium versus conventional Gatorade. And then there's also been, there's been times I have a, a friend of ours who does the death hike with, with us every year. He, we just do Tang straight yeah. up Tang, like Kool-Aid yeah. Tang. Yep. So, I mean, you when you're, when you're looking at an electrolyte, you're looking at two things, right? An electrolyte powder. The ones that I'd mentioned are specially formulated to do two things. One, they have carbohydrates in them and they have them in there in a dose that the gut can tolerate. If you get too many carbohydrates in too quickly, you get an intolerance. So you get part of the carbs that will digest and then you get part of them that'll just sit in the stomach and get fermented, produce a lot of gas. And that's usually what's associated with all the problems with gut distress, So these, these are formulated to have the exact dose that you need. So the carb piece is important because that's providing energy to you. And then of course you've got the electrolyte piece. So you've got good sodium replacement for what's being lost, good chloride replacement for what's being lost, so on and so forth down the line. If you do the Tang route, you're still getting the carbs, but you're missing the sodium. But again, if you've got, you know, a multitude of different salty snacks in your pack, I mean, for crying out loud, Mountain House has... 1400 plus milligrams of sodium in it. So if you're taking and drinking Tang, but you're eating salty food, you don't necessarily then need to double back and get some sort of high sodium electrolyte replacement either. Salt is salt is salt is salt. So as long as you're meeting the basis, the form of it is less important.
1: Gotcha. That makes a lot of sense. And, you know, I want to talk about hydration a little bit, but can you outline the death, what, what the death hike? the death rate
2: <laughs> the death the death hike the death rate's probably appropriate too yeah so the the uh, the death hike is it's a annual uh event that exo mountain gear puts together and you know usually it's about between 20 and 30 of Stephen mark's close close friends and it the uh the 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 route that's chosen is always death <laughs> it's always absolute misery so last year, I've only done it a couple of years, but they've been doing it now, I think nine or eight years. And so there's been a couple of years where it was a hundred miles through central Idaho. One year it was a snowshoe pack out through the Frank. Last year we did it in Alaska. This year it was supposed to be in, or it was in central Idaho and it covered 50 to 60 miles with 25,000 vertical feet through some of the bigger peaks in Idaho over, you know, it was a, it was a no sleep type of endeavor. So you had about 40 hours to get it done in with no sleep. And so it's, the the goal is for as few of people as possible to finish it.
1: (laughs) So people drop.
2: Oh yeah. Oh yeah.
1: Yeah. Man, that's super cool. We, uh, we have a couple diehard XO fans on our team here. Uh, good company that take care of vets too. So Tyler Jensen, when you hear this, you should look into the, the <laughs> look into the death hike for sure. Yeah. That's- those,
2: the, uh, the guys that go in that are they are in a, another league. I am way out of my league in that, but I enjoy at least signing up and trying.
1: <laughs> That's awesome. But back to hydration. If you water's heavy, right? Like, yeah. The, is the answer you know, these electrolyte packets that weigh nothing. Is that kind of like your best option to make your, I guess, to have your money's worth of weight versus.
2: No, I mean, you, you still, you're still, you still just have to kind of, yeah, you still have to buck up and carry the water, man. I mean, if you're in a really dry place and you're, or, or you're going to be going up to a high point in a drainage that has no water, it would be better for you to take it. In fact, like one of the biggest indicators indicators of performance decline in an athlete is when they don't get enough water, 2% change in their body water decline massively in performance, right? That's a very little margin for error. So if I'm packing weight, like I'm probably ditching gear before I'm ditching food or water ever. Right. And so with the, 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 the water, the, the water is a carrier for the electrolytes. Right. And so the, not a substitution for it, the electrolytes aren't a substitution for the water. They're just carrying the electrolytes in. I mean, in fact, like if you get in a real bad way and you have no water and you're starting to bonk and you're out of food, I would eat the powder of, Oh yeah. Cause you'll still get the carbs in. Right. And that's, you'll still get the carbs and you still get the sodium. So your muscles are going to contract and at least get you out in a, in, in a situation of an emergency. But yeah, I, you know, it's, it's tough because water weighs 2.2 pounds per liter. And so, you know, you start thinking about if you're carrying even two liters, it's four pounds of water. If you're packing say six liters to some high point somewhere, that's, that's a, that's a lot of weight. Yeah. But again, in my mind, it's about enjoying the trip and to enjoy the trip versus just suffering through it. You kind of do have to embrace, all right, look, this is a non-negotiable. This is a, might my, this is what I'm carrying. This is what I need. And this is what I'm carrying. So it can be tough to stomach the idea of filling up a big bladder or a big reservoir before you start climbing. But once you get up there and you've got it, I don't think you'll ever regret it, you know, and, and think about it too. I mean, usually there's something flowing at the bottom of a drainage or at the bottom of a peak. So the amount of time that you're actually carrying it is just, that hill. And maybe it is a 2,000, 2, you know, vertical feet and elevation gain to get up there. But once you're there, you're there and, and you've got the water there and you don't have to come back down. Hopefully you don't have to come back down.
1: That's a it makes me think, man, like when I'm doing my gear shakeout and, you know, people weigh packs before their trips with all their gear. Like I don't think I've ever weighed my gear with water. I don't think I've ever filled up, filled up my nalgene's or my you know my bladder and my pack or anything like that, and then weighed it, which I'm gonna do now. That makes a lot of sense. I may be reconsidering that spotting scope and just go with the binos, you know.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, but 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 to your point, you're right. I mean, you, you've got you've got a couple of liters of water. You've got a spotter. You've got a tripod. You got a rifle. I mean, that alone with no food, with no camp gear, with no stove, that it it does get heavy. It, it does. But, you know, I've always been, and this is probably typical dietician response, I've always felt like I would rather not need it and have it from a nutrition standpoint than to wish I had had it and I don't, you know, because I've been in plenty of scenarios where I've felt like, man, I really wish I would have had X, Y, and Z. I would have done better. I could have used the energy or whatever. Very rarely have I regretted carrying something that I didn't use.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And you know, if listeners are hearing this and planning their packs and their pack outs, something we preach a lot is like after your season's over, you need to do an after action review of all the gear you carried. What did you not use? What can you take out for next year? Because that could potentially be a weight saving for, right water and other nutrition factors that could lead to a better, like you said, joyful experience. Yeah. That's cool. What about like, now My like, my wheels are turning. I'm going off script. This is like,
2: it's all right, man. Fire away.
1: There's no script. We don't script anything here, man. But, uh, (laughs) from a recovery point of view, what do you recommend for folks? Like, right. You, you get through the suck and you, you lay down at the end of the day. What do you, you know, anybody who's done a multi-day hunt, you're fired up for the first one, two, day three, and then, and then it can become a grind sometimes, uh, your body's tired and you're not getting a ton of sleep, especially like early elk season archery You're you're getting up early to drive to the spot. Even if you're like day hunting, what, what do you, what does Valley to Peak kind of recommend for folks for a recovery point of view?
2: Yeah. The, so f- t- two things, one you you need to figure out what you need from a calorie standpoint and you need to make sure you're meeting that day in and day out because where most people fall flat on a long hunt like that is they are not staying on top of it and if you fall behind it is really hard to make up right like if you don't get enough in on day one and then day two it's slightly under again and then day three it's slightly well now you're really behind Right, and your body will recognize something like that. So, uh, understand what it is that you need from a calorie standpoint. Make sure that you're getting that in every day. Then, date uh, the the second thing that I would add in there is that whatever your evening meal is, make sure that it's rich in both carbohydrates and protein. That's a key piece because as you are sleeping your body is going to want to replace the nutrients lost in the muscle. Glycogen is what's, is what's firing that muscle. Glycogen is the long-term, the long-term storage of carbohydrate. You want carbohydrates as that last meal, because that's going to be replacing the fuel reservoir that you're going to be using tomorrow. So if you go to bed and you think, Oh man, I'm just too tired. I don't feel like cooking. I'm going to eat some of this jerky. You wake up in the morning and you can't figure out why it's such a slog to get up 500 feet well, that's yeah. why, I mean, you're, 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 you are just like a car. Your gas tank is completely drained. And unless you fill it, you won't be able to make it up that 500 feet. So both carbohydrates and protein are important because it's not only refilling those stores, it's also recovering the muscle as well.
1: Right.
2: So that'd be, that would be, both of those would be key. Oftentimes what I'll do too, just to keep the calories high and to get the carbs up high, right? Cause a meal only has so much is do whatever meal it is that you've planned on doing for the evening meal. But then I'll also suggest people do like a hot drink, whether it's a hot chocolate or an apple cider or even a hot Gatorade or something like that to go with it. It's a way to get the carbs up just a little bit higher and really make sure that those stores are maxed out before the next day.
1: What role does the heat play?
2: Cause it's cold in September. Oh, <laughs> in <the wow>. mountains. <laughs>
1: just, to, just to make it a little more <laughs> palatable. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. I mean, you could do it cold. You could do it yeah. cold.
1: Yeah. That's cool. I feel like now that I'm thinking about it, I definitely don't eat enough. That's not my focus, right. Right. And you have to think about that. Right. I, yeah. I feel like I don't eat enough at all.
2: And a lot of people fall in that boat. A lot yeah. of people fall in that boat. They get busy or they just honestly, frankly, I just think that they downplay it. Right. They just feel like, Oh, let's take some granola bars. That should be good to get me through. But the, the energy demand is so high doing stuff like that day in, day out. I mean, yeah, sure. Unless you're doing a lot of like there there are some units even in even in Idaho where you would be better off sitting in a side by side and covering ground than you would be hiking your tail off. You would just completely exhaust yourself and get nowhere. But by and large, most of the time you're hiking a lot and you're usually doing a lot of elevation change and you're usually going. You know, especially like you mentioned earlier, you're getting up early and going to bed late in early September. If you are, if you're the type of, of, of guy who hunts elk and says, okay, well, I'm going to hunt several different spots per day. And you're hiking into new drainages every day. You're putting on way more miles than the guy who's packing in and spiking out and just kind of exploring the, the, you know, the depths of whatever that single drainage is. There's a huge difference between the energy demands of those people. I can remember one year we, we did, we've done both. And, you know, the year that we did where we, we went in with mules for however many miles it was that we went in and hunted out of there. I think we covered like 21, 25 miles over the course of seven days. Year prior to that, over the season where we, we didn't, we didn't spike in anywhere. We just went in and out several different drainages all season. I think we covered 96 or more. So you're just, I mean, you're just marching all day long, you know, So, yeah, it it becomes really important, though, that you stay on top of it, because, again, people we, we often see nutrition as, okay, this is going to cover me for right now. But it's it's not only covering you from right now, it's recovering you from yesterday and it's preparing you for tomorrow. It's a very dynamic thing, right? Nutrition is it's sure it's giving you some some nutrition in the moment, but it's also still trying to recover you from yesterday and the day before that and the day before that, plus what's to come, right? Whatever you're, go- whatever demands you're going to have over the next couple of days, it's going to have to prepare you for that as well. So yeah, it's, it's important to stay on top of it, even though it seems like it can be a task because it can seem like a task at times. It's important to stay on top of it and make sure that you don't fall behind.
1: Yeah. And that kind of ties in with where we started, right? It's like, and i saw this is not my idea i saw it on instagram recently but it's like choose your hard right it's it's hard being overweight right that adds a lot of difficulties to your life for a variety of different reasons but it's also hard to stay on top of your nutrition and follow it correctly and put the time in and be sure you're consuming enough calories that, you know choose which hard you want to be and plan accordingly right yeah that's cool man we're uh we're rolling up on an hour here, Kyle. It kind of flew, man, but I wanted to ask, what are some of your like favorite or maybe least favorite? Uh, are there like any nutrition myths out there that you've kind of discovered and debunked and maybe things that people take as common practice that hunters, backcountry folks should not be doing or take as gospel that maybe we should reconsider?
2: Yeah, there's probably a few, and and we can, man. If you guys, like, I know this is a huge topic.
1: If you ever yeah, want to do part do a, two, we're gonna have to do it. For sure, we
2: can do part two anytime you want. Yeah, when you ask that question, my mind goes a million different directions. But,
1: uh, is that a part two question?
2: No, I don't, okay. well, I mean, it can't be. Yeah. I'll I'll give you a couple. Right, the first one would be, the first one would be that we need crazy high amounts of protein on a hunt to recover, right? Even crazy high amounts of protein while we're training, right? The general recommendation that's thrown out there is one gram per pound of body weight. And we've since sort of understood, you probably don't need that much distribution of protein over the course of the day matters a lot for other, in other words, it'd be better for a guy to get small doses of protein all day long than one gigantic hit at the evening. And that's usually what we'll see, right? People are, they wake up, they'll have a granola bar, maybe a bowl of oatmeal, bag of pretzels in the Diet Coke at lunch and a 62 ounce sirloin for dinner. And that's like what they call their protein intake. It'd be better to somehow distribute that over the course of the day versus that. But going back to the idea that we need a ton of protein on the hunt, we don't, because one of the key things is, is you're trying to recover, not grow the muscle on the hunt. And protein dosing is based off of typically, do, are you trying to grow it? Are you trying to simply recover it? Are you at a maintenance dose? And so one of the things to remember is protein's hard for the gut to digest. So when you're in the backcountry, you don't want heavy, heavy doses of protein because again, you're in a unique environment where digestion is not king. It's not top of, of mind to the body. The body's saying, look, recover this dude's legs because- they're moving a lot. We need to push all blood flow there. So you've got less blood flow going to the gut. But if you're trying to eat a really high protein, really high fat, really high fiber diet, that's a recipe for a lot of problems for people. Whenever you look at indigestion with backcountry hunting for, for, uh, uh on one hand,
1: which if you're going to have indigestion, that's not the time to do it.
2: No, no, <laughs> no. But that's that's one of the ones that comes to mind the other one that comes to mind and this is taboo because you're probably going to get a lot of emails and so will I about this but the idea that we're, we should go low carb on anything that requires a ton of output the 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 primary the primary fuel that drives a muscle is carbohydrate and the reliance on carbohydrate when that muscle is is moving is high could you go on? Could you go low carb, high fat? Would it work? It would work, yes. But would you move as quickly? Would you recover as fast? No, right? And study after study after study has shown that. Now, if you were to write to me and say, "Look, man, I just feel so much better not eating a bunch of carbs and having lots of fats, having lots of proteins. I just feel better." What do you think? I would say that's what you should do. If you have tested that and you have found that works better for you, then then you should do that for sure. But for the, the, for the, for the, for the population as a whole, from what we've seen and what we know, the body's heavily reliant on carbohydrate, the higher the intensity, the more reliance on carbohydrate. We're always using a mix of fuels. We're always using a little bit of fat and a little bit of carb and hopefully very little protein, but we're always using a mix of those fuels. But we know that as the intensity climbs, the reliance on carbohydrate climbs in a linear fashion to the point of where you get to 85% of your max output. It's almost 100% of carbohydrate being used. So the mix or the composition that you want to come up with can vary. You got a lot of loose play there, right? You don't have to be like 70% of your calories coming from carbs if you don't want it to be. Um, But incorporating some would probably be smart. You know, and in, in, in a situation like we're describing, where you're hunting and moving a lot, and especially when you're trying to climb a lot, where again intensity is very high.
1: Yeah, I love that. I think a lot of people need to hear that, and can't be said enough. I've got a coworker in mine who tells me all the time, "Big workout lady and works out before school every day, five a.m. Fit lady and she, carbs make me fat." And I'm like, no,
2: stop. tell her to tell her to listen to this.
1: Stop. <laughs> it's bad science. Where, where are you at on dehydrated meals? What do I, how do I need to feel about dehydrated meals? What do you mean? I don't, I don't know. Just like everybody packs in the, you know, you got the mountain house and the peaks and the all sorts of that's, that's very much a part of the hunting space. I feel like it's part of when people picture a backcountry hunt, that's part of the picture. How do I need to feel about that?
2: I feel great about that, honestly. Uh, I mean, so when you when you look at a package, right, whether like let's let's just compare peak and mountain house. And here's here's why I say that now you're, you're going to have you're going to have people who differ on this. But one, many people would say one tastes great and the other doesn't. You'll have both camps, right? You'll have people say, oh, I love mountain house. I hate peak. And then you'll have people say, I hate mountain house. I love peak. Yeah. When you look at the back of those packages, the composition's dramatically different. Most of the calories from Mountain House are coming from carbs. Most of the calories from Peak are coming from fats. At the end of the day, the question is going to be what sits the best with you, right? And, and, and that at the end of the day is going to be the most important thing. Let's take, we'll take, well, let's just, let's just cast this broad because I don't want to throw any brands yeah, under the bus. If you look at one. If you look at a certain brand and people say, oh, I can't eat that. It tastes disgusting. It gives me gas. I've got poops for weeks after that and blah, blah, blah. That is very unlikely that that is caused by a certain brand right. because most of, if you look at the, if you look at the nutrition fact label on that, on that product, that's what you're getting. You're getting that many grams of carbohydrate, that many calories, that many protein, that many this, that, and the other. That's what you're absorbing, and that's what's going to recover you, regardless of what the brand is. Right now, there are a huge number of brands out there now. It used to basically be used to basically only be Mountain House, and then Peak came, and then all of the others came as well. I personally like, got into, and love dehydrating my own simply because it, number one, it gives me the ability to tailor it to what I want. Do I want more carbs or do I want more protein? Do I want half a packet? What do I want? And it gives me the ability to tailor what I want to eat. I mean, each brand offers maybe five to seven different types of meals. And if I want something different, then I got to make it myself. So I started, we started dehydrating stuff a couple of years ago. Obviously the cost savings is, one huge reason to to do it. I told you earlier, I was the tightwad, but the second one is just the, the, the way that you can custom it. And we actually wrote a, um, a DIY dehydrate guide on our website that if people are interested in getting into that, they can check out, but it, it describes it, it. Basically I documented questions I had, but did not find answers to and wrote a guide on everything from, okay, well, if I want to go to, if I want to start dehydrating, how do I begin? What type of dehydrator should I buy? How much water should I add when I go to re rehydrate it? And you know, how do I know when it's done? And so that, that guide is designed to really help answer a lot of the questions that mo- most other guides are geared towards. Here's a recipe, go follow it, but it doesn't tell you about how to actually dehydrate stuff. So if people are interested in that, that's on the website. But if if you're interested in the convenience of just picking up a meal, honestly, I don't think any of them are any better than the other. It's a matter of the flavors you like, the taste that you like, what sits the best with you. And that's what I'd run with.
1: And if we're talking about savings and if you like the hands-on approach, right. I would say, right. That that's linked in your, in your link tree on Instagram. And I was looking at it earlier, but that'd be a really cool way to have another, you know, hands-on application to your, to folks hunting trips. If they wanted to look into that and making your own dehydrated meals, I think that's super cool.
2: Yeah. they You're welcome to grab a copy of that if you're interested in it, but um, it's on, on the website. I can, I can send you a link too, if you want to put it in the show notes, if people, yep. people are interested.
1: That's super cool, man. Well, Kyle, we're rolling up on an hour here, man. And we have established, we need to do a part two. And, uh, after Luke's technological issues, he's going to want to be on part two for sure. I'm sure he's just fuming over there, yelling at his computer.
2: (laughs) Well, let's do it. I'd be glad to, I love doing these. So it'd be fun.
1: That'd be on brand for him, man. But yeah, what can you, what can you leave us with? And, you know, tell us a little bit about Valley to Peak. Where can we find you? Um, what do we need to be checking out and looking out for?
2: Yeah, everything is, uh, I mean, if you Google Valley to Peak nutrition, it'll, it'll come up, but everything's under V and then the number 2 p, nutrition.com. So that's our website. And I, my, uh, I, Carter, I think we talked about this the first time we spoke. My whole my whole aim for Valley to Peak has to be provide as much free and helpful information as humanly possible and then provide a few other paid options that go deeper for people who want it. So there's a podcast for free. We've written tons of free guides that you can access. There's tons of free resources on the website that you can access. Uh, we've got the dehydrate guide that's 10 bucks. So if you explore that, you'll, you know, making one meal will pay for it. We've got a new course it's called foundation. So it's 20 weeks that outlines exactly what it sounds like. The foundations of nutrition ranging from calories to, you know, how much protein should I get and carbohydrates and fats? And what about meal planning and alcohol? And so it walks you through everything to understand the basics with um, nutrition. And then we've obviously got a, uh, a kind of a, I hate this terminology, but it's what it is a coaching program. Yep. Uh, and that's more one on one, very much tailored to you. We walk through a process over 16 to 20 weeks to aim towards whatever goal that you're interested in getting and whether that's mountains or, or life or what have you. But everything's accessible through v2pnutrition.com same thing with our instagram the podcast is the valley to peak nutrition podcast so google valley to peak and you'll be able to find anything you want
1: yeah check it all out man you got a lot going on and i'm glad we could finally make this happen and uh big fan of what you're doing man i'm a sucker for education and helping folks so appreciate what you do man
2: yeah i love what you guys do too carter and it'd be a be great to do part two and maybe even do some work together in the future if we can figure out how to make it happen
1: Heck yeah, man, for sure. Before we jump off here, what hunts you got lined up for this fall?
2: I'm a, I'm a, I'm a local guy. I don't, we don't really do anything out of state too often, but I've got a antelope tag for early September. I've got archery elk tag, and then I've got a, um, our general deer tag. So everything will be in Idaho. And, um, that honestly, those three between, between our business, our two boys and those three tags it's about as full as I want to be through, through Christmas.
1: For sure, man. That's cool. I've always wanted to hunt Idaho. So I may have to pick your brain a little bit.
2: Please do come out. I'd be, be more than happy to have you.
1: Hell yeah. Well, I appreciate you. Appreciate your time, man. And listeners definitely go check out Valley to peak. And as always, we appreciate the hell out of you guys. And we'll talk to you next week.